This is Marketing Heroes Unfiltered, the journey to CMO, the podcast where we interview high-achieving B2B marketing professionals to know their stories, struggles, and insights in this fast-paced and competitive industry. Hosted by Leslie Carruthers and Danny Muscaplat, as Senior Vice President and Global Head of Marketing, Richard leads the global marketing organization, leading work humans integrated marketing strategy and global initiatives and functions, including revenue operations, growth marketing, corporate communications, brand, advertising, content marketing, product marketing, digital experiences, creative, inside sales, and events. Richard joined the company in April of 2021 and has 15 years of marketing leadership experience in B2B and B2C marketing. And his expertise in marketing strategy and global execution has helped leading global brands such as Coca-Cola, Twitter, Puma, Verizon, LVMH, McDonald's, and Adidas. Prior to WorkHuman, Richard held executive positions at LogMeIn, Havas Media, Ignition, and BFG Communications, where he operated at the country, business unit, and global level, living and working in South Africa, Canada, and the USA, with key territory and industry focus in Brazil, Russia, the Middle East, and Northern and Sub-Saharan Africa. This is a podcast about heroes which is why you're here. Thank you for making time, Richard. Thank you for having me and inviting me on. Our pleasure. Would you tell us, how do you start your day? Wow. Well, personally, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So my day usually starts around midnight at some point in time and then rolls into waking them up at 6 a.m., 6.30 before I head into the office. As a leader of a pretty large organization, I find that role of human connection is really important, both for my team, but also collectively in terms of how we lead as a cross-functional organization. So I commute into the office about three days a week and really start by jotting down my day in a four quadrant matrix. My to-do list really starts with high impact, high effort, low impact, low effort, going through that different scaling method. And I I rank my to-do list against those things. And I only focus my day on the items that are high impact, low effort, or high impact, high effort within the day. And I do that every single day to start the day. And that allows me to focus in terms of where I need to go, the problems I need to solve for my team, and the boulders that I need to move for them in order for them to be collectively successful across EMEA and North America. Brilliant. That's great. How long have you been doing that? That sounds like a highly effective habit. Is that something you've been doing for a long time? I've been doing it for about three months now. Okay. I like it. I used to do the standard to-do list, going down all the things I need to do. But then I had the struggle of prioritizing what was important and I would get distracted really quickly. So I I was reading some focus tools and one of those was building a four quadrant matrix where you actually put the same to-do list, but you put it in four different quadrants. And if it's in the low impact, low effort, don't address it unless you have the time. Um, And I think most of us know on the call who are in positions like myself and positions not like myself is time is very precious. So really focusing on the things that are going to move the needle. And that doesn't always mean in execution. It might be in systems and processes. It might be some people decisions, organizational decisions. And it really allows you to focus on what's the highest impact against the business goals and the people goals in order to give the team more focus and direction. Do you ever look at your your high impact quadrant and say, gosh, that's more than I can do in a day? What do I do now? Yes, every day. (laughs) (laughs) 
every day, you know, there is this need to also be really curious because there are things that are high impact, high effort that might not involve the marketing organization that we're currently in right now. So what if we think about the 70-20-10 model, doing 70% of your work that is absolutely in a proven something that you can justify and prove the execution of the work in the market or internally. 20% is doing something within a proven channel, but doing it in a way that's never been done before. And then 10% of your time is doing something that the business has never done before or that the world has never seen. And this is where the experiential thinking comes in around over time, the 10% becomes the 20%, the 20% becomes the 70%. Yeah. And that requires that you live outside of the marketing organization and you deep dive into what's going on within different product committees and product groups in our e-com division, in procurement, finance, all of those things can help high impact, high effort around operational efficiency, building better systems, supporting the growth of the business and the pace at which we are scaling right now. And sometimes solving the marketing problem is not within marketing at all and trying to figure out where you balance your time there while also giving your, your collective team and my direct reports as much direction and focus as possible so that they can actually run and lead the work across the world, of which they do a phenomenal job. Nice. Awesome. I know you are, you're speaking Danny's language as VP marketing over at Thomson Reuters. He deals with what you're talking about every day. They said that really well. All right. So question for you, as you think about heroes, every hero has an origin story. Wondering if you could share yours with us. I think my origin story has to originate in terms of where I grew up and how I grew up. So I was born and raised in South Africa, a mega diverse city and mega diverse country. I was, I was born in Johannesburg and it offers me a very unique skill. And that skill is the ability to connect with, communicate and build trust with anyone at any hierarchical societal level at any time, knowing that within the, the scale of poverty to having maids and gardeners growing up, which is a standard part of life, to walking into the business environment, you're literally dealing with different hierarchical standards, different classes, different levels of diversity. And I think that gave me my forward thinking view in to my strengths. I then moved from South Africa to the United States, um, having lived in a ser series of countries prior to that. So Canada, Brazil, um, I traveled a lot across the organization. I've always thought about my career in terms of the origin story as a pyramid and how wide and how strong is the base of my pyramid. So if you think about the concept of a pyramid, you either are a specialist, which means your base is very narrow and you are a specialist in that one thing and you climb the corporate ladder by shifting from one company to another, usually when you're taking on a bigger problem at a time. I did not take that route and I started moving into the a creative agency that was working on um, FF, FCMG. I moved into experiential and sponsorship agency, then into a partnership agency. That partnership agency was acquired by a media group. So then I did brand building with, through custom integrations within existing media. And that was all for B2C brands. And I, one day I did a pyramid exercise where in the base of the pyramid, I put everything I'd ever done and I decided what was going to be the middle of my pyramid. And that was everything I'd never done. And I'd never been in the B2B environment. I'd never had a technology client. I'd never been brand side. So that was where I was going to go find my next role. Now, that was very difficult in finding that next role because I literally had zero experience in any of those components. And I ended up getting a role that logged me in, leading the entire brand organization. And that was the foray into then rebuilding the base of my foundation. And that led me into work human. And that's really helped me lead my career and my origin story with pure intent, where I knew exactly what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go 
and what I needed to add to my experience repertoire in order to accomplish the ultimate vision of being the CMO. Now that I've moved into that role, my base has restarted all over again. And now I need to figure out what's in the middle and what's the future of the next two year horizon. So it's been a really intense journey, but that journey would never have happened if it wasn't for incredible managers that I've had over my period of time who gave me the chance, gave me the opportunity, exposed me to the risks. It would never have happened if I didn't solve some of the biggest problems for the biggest brands in the world. And it also would never have happened if I wasn't a really great colleague. The we versus I, so that collectively the us can thrive in, in every environment. And there were some hard lessons in through all of those, but I think the right ones in understanding different business ecosystems and how to navigate them based on how wide or how narrow your pyramid is and what you bring to the table, but also what you're seeking in that engagement. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Got it. Diversity all along the path. Yeah. And I love the visioning that you've done. Fantastic. Would you share, Richard, some problem, whether it's a big, hairy problem or something that you see that you think is an evergreen problem that that folks in your position are dealing with and, and how you've tackled it, whether it's at work, human or in a, a prior position? Yeah, I think there's some consistent business challenges and evergreen problems But I think if we look back at the data of the last 10 years, they're probably all going to be the same. They're going to be in the top five or top six for sure. Staffing, retention, bandwidth, very common business challenges. I think if you're a 100,000 person company, a 1,000 person company, a 100 person company, those things are usually the same. I think there are those are the problems we are equally trying to solve right now at WorkHuman. And I think those will be the continued problems that we try and solve as we move into the future of the next five to six years. I think there's a, when you look at the business landscape, there's economic uncertainty, there's the business landscape, which is ever evolving. There's also this thing called human behavior, (laughs) which evolves as new generations enter the workforce and other generations exit the workforce. The entire dynamic of culture, human behavior, business landscape, economic landscape is always changing. And therefore, the entire environment in terms of how businesses grow, and particularly work humans growth, we need to be able to keep up to all of those changes. And there's this connection between people and performance that ultimately allow these machines to move to move themselves forward. I think one of the challenges we are we are trying to overcome based on being a hyper growth company that's ever evolving, that's expanding into new markets around the world goes back to a little bit of what I said earlier, operational efficiency links directly into revenue. How do we become more efficient? What tools and technology, analytics and data foundations do we require in order to be as efficient with the greatest level of optimization that we can so that $1 can really equal $10? It seems like it's the consistent marketing challenge of where we try to squeeze more out of less And that really looks at the technical component of your entire marketing tech stack. What do you have and is it going to get you to the next level? What do you replace? How do you replace it? When you're looking at the systems and the processes and the workflows, what is repeatable versus what is custom and ad hoc? When you're looking at the function of the the PMO organization, all of these dynamic shifts that are happening that need to happen, let's say more or less in real time, how do they link into the the operating foundation of the business? Finance, procurement, legal, do all of those things work coherently together to get you in line with the pace at which we want the go-to-market to move at? Common answer is probably not. 
We always want to do things faster and better. And that is the ever evolving challenge that we face. I think the second challenge that we face is the jargon statement. Let's do less, but do it better. As marketers, <laughs> I think most marketers, including myself, find that extremely difficult to actually achieve. I think on paper, even building more optimized programs that have proof points that say these programs are really going to work, the ability to adjust the change management associated with the operational efficiency, the program execution with doing less, but doing it better is something I don't know if I have been able to completely crack just yet, but definitely on the horizon to try and accomplish that within really this year's ecosystem. I love that. I've heard that so many times in my career. We're going to do fewer things. We're going to do them better. And then there's this handoff to the doers and the leaders go, so tell us how you plan on doing that. And there's swirl, right? Because we have fewer people, lower budgets. The goals and targets have gone up. So, okay, we're going to do fewer things better. But in theory, if we could have done them better, why wouldn't we have already? And so I'm curious to know, as you look at the year ahead, how you're going to solve that. What are the things that you analyze? What comes to mind on how to crack that nut? Yeah, it's got to be smarter. How do you get smarter in the decisions that you make and what you decide not to do? I think it's easy to decide what we do, but when there are multiple right decisions, you're at the core of the problem that, that we need to solve. And that is usually got to do with a stronger data foundation that informs stronger analytics around where you invest the dollars against the level of engagement or engagement attribution that we are seeing from our prospects, how we engage our customers around channels and programs and various initiatives that we're running? How do you pick which collection or which network of programs is going to deliver the greater network effect that you're looking for in or coming out of the strategy? It's going to definitely be a very strong gut. <laughs> and there's a lot of incredible marketers out there with strong guts who just know and they don't need data to actually prove it with the data to validate that, let's say, accurate and statistically reliable data that actually answers the questions that you have in order to optimize the investment that you're making. Now, this could be everything from conversion rates, your entire digital ecosystem, which links, links straight back into the, the challenges that most marketers have faced for the last 10 years, digital transformation mm -hmm. type thinking. So we've at WorkHuman been on a really big push right now around revenue operations consolidating go-to-market? How do you look at all the different engagement and touch points from a prospect who's really day one in the system all the way through to a customer who's been in at WorkHuman with WorkHuman for 20 years? What are the ideal customer profiles? What really moves the needles? Are we solving the, the true customer problem? And then how are we optimizing the programs and the strategies across thought leadership, demand generation, ABM, product marketing, to increase the amount of engagement so that we actually can optimize at the engagement level versus focusing on these larger attribution models, which don't necessarily answer the question we want to want, want them to answer in last touch attribution and multi-touch attribution. So a big shift from last touch attribution to multi-touch attribution, and now into really engagement attribution down at the contact level. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, that's great. In the big, in your career? How have you seen marketing change over the past 10 years? That's one example, but I'm sure that there are several. Can you expand? I feel like my, my entire life in B2B has been the change. I spent a lot of time, like let's say over 10 years of my career, purely on the B2C side. Big brands such as Verizon, Coca-Cola, LVMH, really working on global programs with local campaign execution that was highly creative, but 
let's say, less sophisticated in the actual targeting of the media and the programs or the sophistication in messaging and positioning the value proposition, the role of product marketing in these ecosystems. I think the, the shift for me has been the level of the granularity around understanding the prospect or understanding the customer and then how to actually address that as a new channel expands or becomes, let's say, a public-facing ecosystem and the ability to actually deal with that in real time. Because if you're not really first in this environment, you are last. But if you are last, then you better do it very, you have to do it better than the individual who's done it first. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I have a, have a very clear answer on the, how has the world, let's say the marketing landscape evolved. I think it's been gradual evolution. I think the role of data has played a, a much stronger part. I think the role now of marketing is around efficiency in the go-to-market. And the efficiency is directly linked to can you answer the questions around the analytical component of revenue, of where do, how do we get revenue and how do we build pipeline faster than where we build it right now against the most challenging economic and business landscape that we've been in for many, many years. Yeah, That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. Given all that, would you like to choose which one of them keeps you up at night? <laughs> which is your favorite? <laughs> what keeps Ooh. you up at night, Richard? <laughs> Other than my two kids, um, that can be the answer. This is the time. No, I think the piece that keeps me up at night: two things. When there are multiple right decisions, which one do you choose? Yeah, that is usually the piece that keeps me up at night and saying this is the business problem that we need to solve, or this is the direction that we need to go. Where most of the solutions that we put in place are the right solution. It's about managing and weighting the risk versus reward debate. That is usually number one that keeps me up at night. The second one that keeps me up at night is the balance between driving performance versus managing the the culture linked to people. Mm-hmm. Very important, especially at work human. Those two things are usually in conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want stronger performance. We need it to be faster. We need to achieve more in a shorter period of time. We need to do less, but do it better. And at the end of all of that is human behavior. So the visual of an X, Y axis where there's performance on on the the Y axis and there's people on the X axis, where do you actually want to net out? And weighting that depending on the economic outcome, where we are as a business, where we even are in the quarter, where we are in a day, if we're in the middle of one of our biggest events of the year, Work Human Live, it's really been about when do you wait and when do you push towards the performance-based culture? And when do you double down on the people and culture-based environment in order to have the best balance of not having a retention issue while also hitting the performance issue, while also hitting the performance goals, while at the same time focusing on performance while building a thriving culture across multiple geographies and multiple functions is the really the two main things that keep me up mm, Got it. So if you solve that, you have to come back on and tell us what the recipe is, because I think we're all struggling with that, right? We've got burnout and we've got massive attrition, and yet the goals aren't getting any smaller. So would love to know how you figure it out when you do. Yeah, you know, we have this technology, this amazing technology company called uh, exactly. Work Human. <laughs> I was going to ask, how do you leverage the social recognition tools yourself that you you have there at Work Human? I mean, recognizing and rewarding individuals is a core piece of what y'all are up to. Yeah, we have a pretty simple but dramatic belief in that we believe that if there is authentic and real appreciation and recognition for 
the things that people do both in the office and outside the office in the workplace uh, really allows us to bring humanity back into the workplace where people and the business can thrive. And within WorkHuman, across both of our geographies, we extensively use our own product in testing the features and functionality, new capabilities. We use recognition as a way to drive our culture. We recognize them against our values. It's peer-to-peer. And it really allows us to see the entire ecosystem and your the network of recognition that's actually happening within the organization and how recognition is having a direct impact on individual performance, program performance, but doing it at scale with data to actually prove the ROI of recognition and its link to performance within the organization. As a leader, it really helps me. It helps me with my direct reports and there's certain triggers and alerts going off. Okay, hey, this person hasn't had a moment of recognition in three weeks. What's going on there? What programs are they working on? They haven't been engaged in meetings. Okay, let's see how we change that dynamic and bring them back into the fold. Maybe there's something there, go check in. It's beyond the one it's beyond the one-on-one and just observing. It's actually about recognizing, connecting, understanding what's going on in their personal lives through life events, while also recognizing that we need to drive the business forward and we need to recognize values that are the values that we want to see in terms of the people strategy as well as the business strategy as we all get through this time together. That's right. You're doing good work. For sure. This is why I've been talking to Dan for a couple of years. Just such a fan of the company and the culture and what's been going on is so interesting. I started, I met him when he was still doing content strategy and then he moved over to sales enablement. I actually interviewed him for a podcast. That's how I found him originally. I had a different podcast during COVID and um, boy, is he a smart, smart guy, really. Yeah. I'll have to dig that recording up. So I remember him talking about um, how he thought about things and similar to you, just really was tracking with some solid distinctions and technologies that really he used intently. What the, the main thing I remember from that conversation was that he made sure when someone asked him and his team for something, he found at least one other group that would benefit from it. Mm-hmm. And he would enroll them in the possibility of that project. And then then everybody like he, he actually had enough social capital built up in the organization that he could go to other groups and sort of make assignments and get things done with more resources than just his immediate, you know, solid line direct report team. So smart. Yeah, I think that there's a there's always an opportunity to look at the body of work being done mm-hmm. and determine what do we just what is not adding value or what is we think is adding value, but mm-hmm. actually is not having a material impact on the business or the culture yeah. or the objective and the goal yeah. and then reassigning yeah. that and reassigning it or just canceling it all together or seeing what is the inventory of the impact because sometimes he was generating you know like uncovering additional impacts and benefits in the organization yeah and that's how he decided which projects move forward yeah yes i'm also trying to personally avoid large committees <laughs> managing via committee is very, very difficult. In some cases, we I do use committees. They become very valuable in terms of stakeholder engagement, different insights mm-hmm. and feedback. That also requires that you know the path forward because if there's <laughs> 50-50, then 100% of the risk and the reward is is on the, the sole decision maker who drives it forward. So, yeah. Sure. That's great. Hey, you've, you've talked a lot about, about staffing and obviously a great tight connection to the recognition programs and software. 
Is there a, a list of a few pieces of advice that you would have for the next generation of marketers? Something they should keep in mind, something they should think about as they're getting into the marketing industry or looking to grow within the marketing vertical? Yeah, I would say really three things. I think I've spoken, it's a little bit of the trend here around as marketers, we tend to think about the execution first. When I would look back and really build the sound foundation first, the right marketing technology strategy, the right revenue operations division, incorporating marketing operations, sales operations first, building the right foundation so that your execution over time becomes easier. Solve the big problem now to optimize execution versus try and solve while building, while flying the same plane. I think there's a second one around don't market the numbers, Mm. meaning performance is performance. And the only way that you don't have sleepless nights is if you don't fudge those numbers. So the pipeline goal is the pipeline goal and it helps you address the real problem and start the, the level of transparency earlier on. The moment we start to manipulate or financially market the numbers internally or externally, you end up in a pretty difficult situation where you don't necessarily know what the underlying truth is. Mm. And that links directly into the foundation. Because if you have the right foundation, you should be able to figure out what's the solution It's not going to be easy, but you can figure out what the solution is to keep that moving forward. And then the third piece of advice would be focus on the people. The performance will happen. If you do the reverse, you might lose the people. For sure. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. So looking back at your career, Richard, is there anything you would do different? My immediate thought is no. There's not a lot I would do different. However, when I look at the base of my pyramid, there are definitely programs in my experience or large scale initiatives that I led that I would not do more than once. I would be in there, done that, got the results, got the t-shirt and got all the learning I possibly could have got out of it. Mm -hmm. And after that, I should have moved on to the next initiative, but I decided to do the same project twice. And when you think about it in the pyramid and you start to categorize your experience you realize that doing the same project more than once only ends up in one small bucket on the base mm, of the pyramid. So it actually doesn't grow the base. Mm. That's why taking on something new allows you to add something to the pyramid, which makes it wider, which then allows you to move up from more directions. And I would have done that differently. There is a series of really one sole project that I actually did three times. And when I got to the third time, I decided at that point, doing another one is not going to add It's not going to add anything else. And I was falling very quickly into the, I'm a consultant in this level of expertise and I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that does work for those who want to be specialists in a particular division and they just hone that particular skill. I already knew from the onset of my career that wasn't how I was going to build it. And when you actually start to document your experience and how big the base is of how many new things you have or that you can articulately speak to and really understand, it's what gave me the pause to say, don't go do this again. What haven't you done? And that opened up the big middle of the pyramid, yeah. which was B2B technology that is now within the base of the pyramid and now I've got to figure out the rest. That's so interesting. It's interesting. Leslie and I have talked to a couple of people and I think that there's a common theme with intelligent, yeah. successful, curious people. Yep. And that theme is move along earlier. With you, it was expand the base, which I really appreciate with other people. It was stayed in the same position too long, at the same company too long. Yep. I think it's a great yep. trait, people who are successful, to realize that there's so much more horizontally to learn and to do and to try that to repeat the same tasks mm-hmm. or stay somewhere too long is potentially holding you back. Mm-hmm. Yes, without 
a caveat there. <laughs> I'm not a believer in this 18-month CMO life cycle. I know a lot of research suggests every, every 14 months, every 18 months, whatever the number is, the CMO moves on. Marketing is a really, really exciting place. I think once you've reached your, the pinnacle of your career, these, let's say these large-scale enterprises, maybe that is true. I think the way I think through the growth trajectory is it can be program-based, project-based. It can be positioned. And a lot of times, those the growth is actually within the organization that you're in, where you already have the, rep, the reputational clout to make a shift. I think before I moved into the CMO role, it was definitely project-based. Now, with the growth of WorkHuman, where we're shifting as an organization, I just couldn't see 18 months achieving incredible, significant results to say I need to move on. Yeah. Because there's just so much growth. There's so much going on. There's tons of curiosity, which might be the the underlying theme around if you are new to the workplace and you're just entering, be more curious and have a sense of how you want to build your career because it will help you align on if you want to be a specialist or if you want to be really broad. And if you're curious, specifically as you enter the organization and even as you go up, when there are those projects where people say, I have nobody to lead analyst relations. Yeah. If you know that is in your middle of your pyramid, of, that's going to get, that's what you need in order to get to the, the top. I'll yeah. take that on. And that might also help you gain knowledge of the entire ecosystem where every day, I think I know a lot about the ecosystem. And then somebody puts me in my place <laughs> around, you actually don't know what's going on in the major ecosystem of marketing and all the new trends and all the new technology and how everything connects. It's an ever evolving ecosystem where the dynamicism of the network is changing all the time. Just think about when meta shifts, everything that is connected to the meta universe shifts. Mm-hmm. So the network is changing all the time. How we navigate that network as marketers with human behavior within it is a very, very challenging. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Sure. So is there a burning topic? Is there something that you'd like to speak on? Got a bit of a platform here. Oh, this is going to be great. You probably haven't heard this burning okay. topic before. So we're human. We don't have a retention problem. <laughs> we, as the marketing organization, have several roles opening up. Mm. So you've got an incredible community of people. So workhuman.com slash careers. We have roles in growth marketing, product marketing, data and analytics, competitive intelligence. We've got roles opening up content in EMEA, both in North America as well as here in North America and EMEA growth content production, organic content. There's several roles opening up based on our growth. And this couldn't be a more exciting time to join the organization. And we're looking for the brightest, most diverse candidates out there in the universe. So amazing. Have a look at this page. And you're right. That's the burning platform. No. We've not heard that one before. That's a good one. I like, it's probably my favorite one so far. I like that. We'll make that a, a snippet. We'll peel that off and share it. And I'm assuming I can get from Lee a link to, if I don't find it, the careers section. Yeah. 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 New roles opening okay. up every day. Pretty much every department. Okay. I love this. Fantastic. So Richard, we're just going to ask you a series of questions. Answer as fast as you can. No pressure. All right. <laughs> Here we go. If your career's a movie, who plays you? Ryan Gosling. I love it. I love it. That's what I was thinking right before you said it. <laughs> What's your favorite KPI? Meetings. <laughs> no. Nice. And what's the target of the of the meetings KPI? Oh, that's a big one. 
I don't know if I can give that one away. <laughs> all right. All right. Enough said. All right. That's a big I'm not going to give that one away. Exactly. All, all right. right. First job, worst job. First job, FIFA World Cup 2010, managing the ball and flag bearer program in the city of Durban. Oh, wow. Worst job, never really had one. That's awesome. I always find the silver lining in the job. If there's learning, there's people, there's connectivity and you're accomplishing something. So never, never really mm-hmm. a worst job. That's great. Other than gardening, but yeah. So who's the most fascinating contact on your phone? Oh boy, my wife. Good answer, sir. Well done. <laughs> if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? It's not really rapid fire. <laughs> <laughs> we have wonderful post-production teams. Yeah, we'll edit out the thinking part of it. <laughs> All good. No, no. All good, yeah. Having the right information at the right time to make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. Rock on. Oh, I turned that marketing one right on its head. <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> there you go. What's the last book you read? The latest edition of Freakonomics. Cool. Very cool. I didn't read it. I, I've been listening to a book a week during my nice. commutes. So it was an audio. Oh, that's great. Counts. Very cool. Definitely counts. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? That I look like Ryan Gosling. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Richard. Last I can see one. it. I can see it. Yeah, or maybe Danny's got one more after this. So, something you dreamed of doing for a long time but haven't done, and why? Well, I'm going to sound so fortunate. I think I've done everything I've wanted to do. I really have lived a privileged life. I've been able to experience the things I really wanted to experience. I've been able to have kids. I'm currently sitting in my dream job mm. and I have a beautiful family. And yes, I have ambitions. There's nothing like, wow, I want to do X, Y, and Z. That's great. And that's going to dramatically change my life. I don't, I don't necessarily think like that. All good. No worries. That's great. I, we could do one more, but I, I, I feel like that was the, that was that a was great way to end. This was fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, um, I know people in Benoni and I've been to Durban. Way. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. South Africa a few yeah, times. My parents live mm-hmm. in Durban. All right. Well, I will send a big thank you to Amy Rice and to Lee Lockman for her help. And we'll get the link for the careers page and we'll tear this off mm-hmm. and have it be the first snippet that we share. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Good thank job. you both. Thank you. Great. All right. Thank you, Richard. Well, thank you have you a great both. one. Take care. You too. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for staying tuned. If you're enjoying these conversations, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It really helps us to increase the podcast reach. Thank you. See you next week with more inspiring stories. This episode of Marketing Heroes is brought to you by The Search Guru, produced by Circle Audio and podcast cover art by Andra Lazorbe.